0: Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that was on vacation last week. So uh, many of you, I'm sure, are suffering severe withdrawal symptoms and very happy to get your proverbial fix. I don't know if we should be using these drug metaphors. Uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones, what do you think? (laughs) I'm hooked on this show myself, so... You are? Yeah. If
1: if, if I start trembling, we'll we'll just start talking and it'll go away.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, I think it's actually the ADL... Uh, people who are being paid to watch this show who actually are trembling, uh, <laughs> uh, whether it's with uh, with dread or maybe anticipation of the things that they're going to say about us. But I haven't had a good fatwa for a while now, so maybe we can get one going this week. Okay, so let's get into our uh, our screen share and all that fun stuff. So here we go. The screen share for this week's slideshow. What's our image of the week? There it is. It's The theme of the week is... Uh, Elon goes to Auschwitz. And we will be talking about that in just a moment. However, we first have to get into our public service announcements. So please do support the show by going to truthjihad.com, getting hijacked to Iceland, and then clicking on false flag weekly news that takes you to our weekly listing. Uh, This was actually last week's. And you click on the top listing of all of these stories, 30 stories, the very first listing always is the click link to click to take you to our fundraiser. Here's the fundraiser. And uh, I think we, we had this one right, Mike. Two weeks ago, I set up this fundraiser with uh, BB guilty of genocide. And the timing is perfect, isn't it? Yep. Yep. He's determined to prove us right on everything. Yes, he he's actually trying to raise funds for False Wide Weekly News, but we're only up to one hundred and ten dollars. So, BB, you're going to have to work a little harder. To make sure we raise the final ninety so that this broadcast can go out. Um, big story this week, of course, is the Gaza Holocaust. The uh, ICJ, International Court of Justice, otherwise known as the World Court, has ordered Israel to abide by the Genocide Convention and to change its ways, i.e., stop committing what appears to be genocide. Some. Are saying that the World Court didn't go far enough; it didn't order a ceasefire. Here's the, and that's even the mainstream is actually hammering on this. Hey, they didn't order a ceasefire, so Israel actually won. Well, I don't think so. Uh, Bernard at Moon of Alabama points out that the ICJ could not order a general ceasefire. What it basically did was ordered Israel to stop killing Palestinians, or at least radically decrease the number of Palestinian civilians that they're killing. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Mike? Was this a, a laudable ruling by the ICJ? Yeah, I don't think they had any other choice in the matter. To,
1: to, if they had gone in any other direction, they would have made themselves irrelevant as a court. So they had to do this. And I think it will allow the Biden administration this their last chance. Okay, we Everybody knows that the president has to threaten Israel so that they back down. And this is the weakest administration in American history when it comes to the Jews, because it's run by Jews. And so, uh, but eventually they're going to have to do it. It's going to have to come. And this will fuel uh, their ability to tell uh, Netanyahu to uh, stop it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it would have been presumably in the U.S. interest to tell Netanyahu to stop it a long time ago. And if they can't do it now, well, I don't know if they'll ever be able to. It was interesting that Yahoo News here, uh, which was, I forget which uh, mainstream wire service it was uh, copying, but the mainstream kept uh, harping on the fact that the world court didn't order a ceasefire, even though it couldn't, because this wasn't a case of ordering both sides to stop fighting. It was a case of ordering one side to stop committing genocide. So this was actually somewhat distorted. And of course, the Palestinians are unhappy that the world court was unable to stop Israel from killing them by the hundreds every day. I don't blame them, but I think that's more Israel's fault than the world court's fault.
1: Yeah, I think uh, both 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 sides, as I understand it, were uh, against a ceasefire or some type of... Uh, that's the way I understand. I know that Israel was against it. Was Hamas against a ceasefire? No, no.
0: Hamas, Hamas has been uh, calling for a ceasefire from... Not quite day one, but pretty close, uh, and that's part of the reason why the Zionists don't want a ceasefire is because it will be perceived as an, uh, a victory for Palestine. Yeah, no, I'm
1: confusing that with the two state solution. I think that that uh, that died during this whole uh, war. Uh, so the the ante is upped. has been upped, and uh, as the longer it goes on, the more uh, Israel backs itself into a corner. Uh, and has to make more and more uh, extensive concessions as time goes on. So I I think that the time is on the side of Hamas at this point, especially after this ruling.
0: I agree. Uh, Sam Husseini has been calling for this ICJ uh, process for months. I had him on the radio show a couple of months ago. And at that time, he was sort of pulling his hair out, saying, why won't any nation on earth take this to uh, to the world court? And then Lo and behold, along came South Africa, really the perfect country to do it. So uh, shout out to Sam Husseini for uh, being ahead of the curve on this issue. And Bernard, I think, over at Winn of Alabama, uh, wrote a good analysis here too, pointing out that this amounts to an order uh, to Israel to stop doing what it's doing. And Israel has to come back next month and show that it stopped doing what it's doing, or it get get slapped with a few more such rulings. Unfortunately, the World Court doesn't have an army, Uh, How many divisions do they control? Not very many. Uh, So the death toll continues. Uh, It's the the worst in the 21st century, according to Oxfam, killing Palestinians at an average rate of 250 people a day, the vast majority women and children. Uh, There were 24 massacres in 24 hours at one point this week. Um, It's, uh, you know, if this isn't genocide, what is? But of course, the Palestinians are fighting back, not targeting unarmed civilians, but shooting at the troops who are genociding them. And uh, this week they had their biggest success uh, taking out two dozen Israeli troopers in one incident. So it's really a a war of terror by the Israeli side, which is going after civilians and basically trying to clear Gaza and just eliminate the human population of Gaza, versus the uh, Palestinians who are fighting against the Israeli military. So it's a it's an asymmetrical uh, war. One side is is uh, the terrorists, and the other side is the counter terrorists.
1: Yeah, it's asymmetrical in a lot of different ways. Uh, uh, militarily, uh, the United States is saddled with a lot of obsolete, expensive weapons, and they're overwhelmed by smaller, uh, inexpensive weapons in quantity, and uh, that's part of the problem here. The other part of the problem is that uh, they can't control the territory, the Israelis can't control the territory that they supposedly occupied. Uh, as far as I know, that attack was in occupied territory. The Israelis had occupied that territory, the Hamas lured them into a building and then blew up the building and, and killed the people, an area that was supposed to already be be cleared. The yeah, same yeah, thing We'll, we'll happen- get into
0: that in detail a little bit later. We have all those maps. Okay, good. Okay, so yeah, let's uh, move on to the, um, the title of our show, uh, Elon Goes to Auschwitz. Uh, this was quite the bizarre, surreal scenario this week as Elon Musk, who has been harassed by the ADL uh, constantly now, uh, is maybe trying to get them off his back by going and kissing the gas chambers. Um, I guess they don't still have gas chambers there, if they ever did, which I kind of doubt, having <laughs> looked into it a little bit. Uh, but maybe he's kissing the walls where there would be Prussian blue or hydrogen cyanide residue, if there indeed had been any gas chambers. Or actually, they wouldn't, because those gas chambers are actually rebuilt by they were rebuilt by the Russians after the war, so there shouldn't be any cyanide, uh, hydrogen cyanide on the walls anyway, which indeed there isn't. Uh, in any case, uh, Musk is kissing whatever he's being asked to kiss over there, and it's kind of, uh, bizarre. He's also saying he's aspirationally Jewish. How, how does it, what does that mean, Mike?
1: I don't know. I, I, I think it's an important concept because I think I became a Jew when I was a teenager. Uh, and it took me a while. I, I it was only after I got to Germany that I realized I wasn't a Jew. And this was when I was in college and I started working, uh, a priest introduced me to the, you know, the art world in, uh, in Philadelphia. And I, start, I worked for a Jewish artist. I worked for a Jewish gallery. I, hang, I hung uh, shows in uh, in synagogue, famous Frank Lloyd Wright synagogue there. I had a, a creative writing teacher who was a Jew. And I also, uh, when I got to the temple, most, a lot of the teachers were Jewish. It's something you could, that can happen to you and you don't know it happens because of the way they control the discourse. You simply adopt their categories. Once you do that, you start thinking like a Jew and then Maybe you wake up one morning and he wants to be aspirationally Jewish. Uh, it makes perfect sense to me.
0: And I guess by going to Auschwitz and kissing the gas chambers, that that's almost like going to the wailing wall and putting on a beanie and kissing the wall. Uh, either way, it is a sort of act of abject surrender, um, sort of like the way, uh, you know, a dog might roll over and show its belly uh, in a ritual no. of submission.
1: Yeah, you're right. But I think the, the religion has shifted now. I think you're right. You, the The Holocaust is the uh, established religion of the United States of America. Government money builds Holocaust museums all across the country. And I think it has shifted from the Wailing Wall. I think this is a significant event. Uh, and Ben Shapiro is doing his job, getting the world's richest goy to, bend, to offer up incense to an idol, the idol of the Holocaust, which is the real... Uh, religion of the Jews at this point, and it's the established religion of the United States of America and uh, Europe as well.
0: Okay, well, uh, apparently they're even showing uh, fake footage, uh, supposed ho- Holocaust footage, which of course is all uh, reenacted. Um, so the and Elon is watching it, pretending it's real, I suppose. Uh, so let's let's move on to our music video of the week. Elon goes to Auschwitz. This is a, a takeoff on uh, the Ramones classic, Bonzo Goes to Bitburg. See the nation, Louis Ramon, the other I mean, Ramon. I don't that We're back back in those days. Reagan went to Pittsburgh and supposedly honored the Nazi war dead. And uh, and the Jewish Ramon, I can't remember if it was Joey or Benny or whatever he was, uh was really upset and so he wrote that song and they were all it's in the ramones band had a fight between the jewish ramon and the goyish ramones uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, a little known subtext maybe you should write the book on that mike <laughs>
1: yeah yeah no it's it's a time for songs uh, uh i don't know whether you saw ben shapiro did a rap song with some canadian white rapper uh, a a classic case of cultural appropriation. I'm, I'm going to claim credit for this. I know it sounds crazy, but I think it's in response to my interview with Jason Whitlock, uh, where I talked to him, uh, and I started talking about, uh, the NAACP is a Jewish organization, uh, to stop, to destroy Marcus Garvey. And he's nodding in approval and he got a lot of pushback for that, And this video came out. I'm just saying he made it. They didn't have time to make it. It's been in the works a lot, but they released it right after the the Jason Whitlock thing to break up what looked like to be uh, uh, blacks and whites getting together and identifying Jew as the common enemy.
0: Yeah, they're um, definitely keeping a close eye on such things. Well, all right. Uh, Let's move on to the holofabulator section. We don't want to play that music Again, that would double our chances of getting sued for stealing Ramon's music and using it for nefarious purposes. Uh, So here's uh, Adam Schiff claimed that his family came to America fleeing the Holocaust, but it turns out that it wasn't true. Mike, why would anybody make up something like this?
1: Why would you claim to uh, have relatives who died in the Holocaust? Because it immediately gets you out of jail. Any problem you have, any Jew who gets his hands... Uh, caught caught with his hand in the till or his pants down couldn't say uh i have relatives who died in the holocaust and you're a mate you have to forgive him and everything is uh, uh put on hold and nothing happens so well, it's when Jeffrey again Epstein got caught with his pants down it didn't help him no he had too many enemies and he could have uh, they could have taken him to court and so they had to kill him <laughs> so, uh, but uh, he, uh, Epstein's job was to get uh, incriminate other people. It turns out that Alan Dershowitz was one of them, and he's back in trouble again. He said he never took off his underpants, but there are about seven girls now, who
0: are former girls, who are saying that he did. Well, I yeah, think he the, the, that he's going the, invoke his um, Holocaust ancestors pretty soon.
1: I'm saying the 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 sheer number of people playing this card shows the desperation that that they're involved. in. They're not holding on to the narrative. Uh, 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 they're, it's, it's failing all across the board. And the more they invoke it, the less power it has in getting them out of trouble.
0: It has reached the point where I think the tragedy has turned into farce. Uh, well, uh, Blinken has running all over West Africa. And undoubtedly, the first thing he says, as always, is uh, he references his stepfather who survived the Holocaust, so here he is uh, giving an African leader um, a, uh, a Blinken Auschwitz football team T-shirt. Uh, so do you think that Blinken's complete you know, ineffectual diplomacy, you know, that he can't do anything to stop this genocide, and now he and Biden and the whole team are pretty much uh, co-conspirators in genocide. Uh, You you think that his inability to be uh, professionally diplomatic has something to do with this reflexive tick where the same way Dr. Strangelove couldn't stop uh, giving that salute, uh, Blinken just can't stop referencing his stepfather and the Holocaust everywhere he goes.
1: Yeah, it it leads to stunted development. The, The powers of persuasion that you should have developed as a diplomat leading up to this position never developed. Because every time you got into a tight spot, you could always say, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. And then it, it, it worked and it worked and it worked, but he got stupider the more he used it. And then finally, you show up in Africa. Well, what do they care about this? This is, this is not their, they don't have a dog in this fight. So why, why are they going to pay any attention to this? All of the skills that you should have been developing as a normal human being have all been uh, stunted because uh you had this get out of jail card it, it simply magnified the problem that jews have which is their rebellion against logos and logos is reason and speech so you already had that handicap coming into this thing and now it got worse because you never had to talk to anybody you never had to be reasonable with anybody and say well look i understand what but you know back and forth no i have relatives that died in the holocaust next next uh, next victim
0: yeah, it kind of makes you nostalgic for Henry Kissinger, who didn't do that. Well, right, right. I, I shoehorned this story in at the last minute, so I don't even got a chance to read it, Mike. But it's kind of hilarious. Uh, they had to totally redesign the Holocaust Museum in Detroit because too many people were giving Nazi salutes and d- taking selfies in front of swastikas and stormtroopers and things like that. You can't, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, here's a here's a big picture of. they had to totally redo their museum to avoid everybody coming to the holocaust museum so they can take pro-nazi selfies um you know again it's gone from tragedy to farce
1: yeah this is particularly true of uh, education in germany where they young people are, are inundated with the story of the nazis and they all identify with the nazis now so i know someone in germany so his son i asked him you know so his son says uh he wants to be the next adolf hitler well, that's that's all the the result of Holocaust museums and the educational system. It has completely backfired on the on the very people that perpetu- per- per- perpetrated on 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 us all.
0: Well, this is a pretty fancy looking museum there in Detroit. I imagine that they're you know maybe we should do a slideshow sometime and look at all of these Holocaust museums and the uh, vast amount of money and architectural expertise and everything that's gone into producing them um it's really yeah, you know they're, they're the it, temples it, of our time the the other thing it would be interesting you see what's the neighborhood like outside
1: of that uh, holocaust museum that would be interesting to know because i know what detroit looks like uh it's probably all desolated because they destroyed manufacturing in in, in detroit but that's another story the i was at the holocaust museum in berlin and uh, it's 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 extremely interesting in terms of the architecture I don't know where there's a whole kind of postmodern Jewish architecture that you could write books about and psychoanalyze them. In fact, I have written books about it and psychoanalyze it. So read the dangers of beauty if you want to know more about that. But I mean, basically they're interesting the way the relationship to the outside world, they have to put a police uh, 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 policeman in front of it because it's just asking for graffiti. That, mm-hmm. that, that building is it's how do you get into it? By the way, uh I, where's the entrance uh, <laughs> I don't how know. do you get in <laughs> secondly how do you get out once you're in there it's like a nightmare it's like, and, it's and, it's
0: like the shower rooms yeah, uh, with, with the zyklon b hot nozzle they're out.
1: become they're becoming victims of their own narrative
0: oh boy yeah well if i lived in detroit in a you know ramshackle place next to this i would wonder you know what my tax money is being spent on. maybe it's not tax money though maybe it's uh It's investment money. I don't know. Anyway, uh, today, if you're actually against genocide, which is the whole ideology of this Holocaust religion, supposedly, uh, and you're in favor of truth, you are de facto anti-Semitic. That seems to be the lesson from the latest Washington Post article, which warns us that there are uh, October 7th truther groups that are growing. They're saying the Hamas massacre was a false flag. This is all October seventh denial. Anybody who refuses to view October seventh as another Holocaust and denies that Hamas broke out of Gaza and started throwing Jews in the gas chambers is uh, is, is a o- October seventh denier, an October seventh truther, and I'm sure they'll come up with some other unflattering terms for us. Uh, and, and they lump everything together here, Mike, ranging from the people. You know, I I agree that the notion that the whole thing was completely stage managed by Israel is pretty ridiculous. But the fact that probably the vast majority of the Israeli so-called civilians who died that day, in fact, died from IDF tank fire and helicopter gunship fire, that is almost certainly true. And yet it's being lumped with these various other uh, kind of loose uh, impressions that various people get. So this is a typical attempt to disparage people who are converging on a truth that the mainstream doesn't want you to know about. Yeah,
1: they're developing a very bad habit of not talking to people. Uh, they're, They're a group that is extremely powerful because of money and the reach that money has. But they're good at banning people, but they're not good at talking to people. And eventually that's going to backfire because at a certain point, the truth is going to come out and the mind does not rest until it rests in the truth. So they're fighting against uh, God here because the truth is a transcendental and it leads you to God. And they're fighting against human nature, which is created by God to uh, find the truth, to seek the truth and be happy when you find it. So it's a losing battle. And the more they ban people, the more they lose the battle. It's that simple.
0: Well, it's not interesting that they are calling this new truther movement about October 7th, uh, linked, it has ties to Holocaust denial, says the subhead. Uh, uh, See, it seems like anytime you don't believe a lie that benefits uh, Jews and Zionists, then you are linked to Holocaust denial. It's, It's a metaphysical issue here.
1: Yeah, it's the foundation. It's the the I said it's the established religion of the United States of America. It's the established religion of the American Empire. It, Eisenhower said, "Now we now the American soldiers know what they're fighting for." That was at the very beginning of the creation of this narrative, and he gave some indication of why it's there. It's there to give meaning to your life. It's there to say, you know, we are good people and we bring freedom whether you like it or not, whether Gaddafi liked it or not, whether Iraq liked it or not and so on and so forth. That's that's all bound up with this narrative of the American troops arriving in the concentration camps.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, interesting, isn't it that you know when when this whole thing happens sort of in you know in real time and we can see the problems with the Israeli victimization narrative of October 7th, we look at how grossly exaggerated their propaganda was with you know, 40 beheaded babies, babies roasted in ovens, uh, mass rapes, all this complete nonsense that's been totally debunked. And yet they're screaming it and insisting on it and, and calling you names if, if you even question it. And that sort of makes you wonder if the same dynamic might've been at work in you know around the World War II issue. That is if they're lying this outrageously and screaming about what poor little victims they are when they're the ones that are committing genocide, you know, if they're if they lie that badly, why should we believe what they say about their alleged victimization during World War II?
1: Yeah, it's like it's like a house of cards and you lose credibility. And that means we don't believe any anything you said. Everything is being called into question. It's it's like testimony in a court. Uh, if, if you're caught lying, it brings it calls into question the testimony that you previously given. And that's precisely what's happened here. They're even admitting that they lied, that this outrageous propaganda about the babies being headed and all stuff, they have to admit it. But now it's too late because you already lied. It's like it's like Holocaust denial. One preposterous story after another. Okay, Debbie Lipstadt really kind of threw it, admitted in 1992 that it was indefensible. They couldn't defend the narrative anymore. And so she made it illegal to question it. So, so she was promoting a guy by the name of uh, who was a child from Latvia, who w- went to a child concentration camp. Well, it turns out the guy's name is Dosecker. He's not Jewish and he didn't come from Latvia. Well wait a minute, is that Holocaust denial? Because she was promoting that. If you say Vilkommirsky's real name is Dosecker, is that Holocaust denial? Well, it was before 60 minutes exposed this guy because Debbie Lipshot was promoting it, and truth is the opinion of the powerful, according to people like Debbie Lipschott. So why should anyone take it seriously? Why should someone be threatened with jail for denying something, in, let's say in this instance, that obviously never happened?
0: Well, you can go to jail in Germany for saying that only 5,999,999 Jews died during the Holocaust, not 6 million. Yeah, uh, you know, one less than six million and you can be jailed. So I wonder if claiming that there were really only 39 babies beheaded by Hamas and roasted in ovens will get you jailed in Germany anytime soon. I hope not. Um, well, I don't think we're supposed to be criticizing Israel this way, Mike, because there's a right way and a wrong. Well, you're the Catholic, uh, but it's probably true for Muslims too. There's a right way and a wrong way to criticize Israel, according to this Catholic magazine. And you tweeted about this. Uh, what what's your take on these speech police people who are trying to keep the Catholics in line so that the Jews can remain in power? Yeah, the, the Jesuits are the uh, the proxy warriors for the Jews uh,
1: in the Catholic Church. There's there's no question about it. I could you I could go into a long history of what happened to the Jesuits after World War II, uh, but uh, basically that. It, the, the, the crucial link is homosexuality. Uh, there, are, there are many homosexuals in the Jesuit order. They are the vanguard of trying to promote homosexual behavior or legitimatize homosexual behavior uh, because homosexual, sexual liberation is a Jewish project and they love it when uh, Catholics uh, create an internal front in places uh, like the Catholic Church. But So what I said was basically, let's just cut to the chase here Stop telling us whether I'm a Catholic in good standing or not, please. Okay, please don't call the ADL and ask whether I'm a Catholic in good standing. We don't need advice from Jews to tell us how to be good Catholics, which is basically what this article is all about. Why don't you just uh, accept the fact that maybe you're doing something wrong? Stop talking us talking to us about how to criticize Israel. Why don't you start criticizing Israel? Why don't you admit that you're doing something wrong? This will be a huge breakthrough. Because if you did that, we could have a discussion. But if you don't do that, then there's there's no possibility for discussion.
0: Well, I don't think they want dialogue. I think they want to dictate terms. Well, uh Israel claims to be exhuming bodies to determine if they're hostages, but from the perspective of Gazans, they're basically ghouls who are desecrating cemeteries. And CNN here is admitting it's it's a systematic practice. So the, the Zionist ghouls are coming in and just digging up bodies after bodies after bodies in the cemeteries, desecrating the bodies of the dead of the people of Gaza because they don't care about them because they're subhuman goyim. It's worth uh, desecrating hundreds of thousands of bodies Um, just to see if they could find a body of a Jewish hostage who, of course, would be one of the Chosenites and uh, a worthy uh, human being. So I mean, you know, you can't really make this stuff up. Um, It's, uh, I don't know. I I mean, how how would you feel, Mike, if if the Jews came to the Catholic cemetery uh, where you live in Indiana and just started digging up all the bodies to see if maybe there was uh, some Jewish Holocaust survivor buried there?
1: Well, no, they have done that. The, uh, the, Spanish, the Spanish Civil War, not, not in Indiana, yeah, but during the Spanish Civil War, the uh, the uh, Republicans, the uh, revolutionaries, uh, regularly dug up the bodies of nuns and priests and submitted them to some type of abuse. Uh, Bolshevism is a Jewish operation. And so uh, it's not new. It's not new. There's something really, uh, what should I say, demonic about this activity when you're talking about the treating the dead with respect, you're going all the way back to ancient uh, Antigone. That's what Antigone is about. So the ancient Greeks, they were not Christians. They were not Jews. They were not Muslims. They were just human beings. And they said that treating, treating the corpse with respect is something that uh, supersedes the law of the king. That's the whole story of Antigone. And it's the Greeks who came up with that idea.
0: Well, apparently they didn't uh, tell the Jews about it, or at least not the Zionists. Um, Okay, we're back here and moving on to our next slide, which is, oh, we're moving into the Israel assassinates section. Uh, They've been deliberately killing academics and intellectuals in Gaza, and it's interesting that that kind of mirrors what went on in Iraq after the U.S. invasion. When the U.S. got control of Iraq, they let in the Israeli hit squads who started going after the scientists, the uh, professors, uh, basically anybody that could help make Iraq uh, successful enough to ever be a problem for Israel. Uh, So here they are in Gaza doing the same thing, destroying universities, killing academics and students. So far, they've killed 94 university professors, hundreds of teachers, and thousands of students. And they appear to be deliberately targeting some of these people. Uh, And meanwhile, they're also assassinating... Iranians. uh, And of course, that will get them a response. And this is all just the latest in Israel's policy of these kinds of assassinations. Uh, A small portion of that story is told by Ronan Bergman in Rise and Kill First. Ronan Bergman, of course, works with the Mossad himself. So it's not going to tell you the really uh, the worst stuff. But then here's the New York Times telling us that uh, assassinations don't work. And and they're quoting Robert Baer, the former CIA kind of lead black ops guy for the Middle East saying, political assassinations just rarely work. They're a tactic of desperation or insanity. You can't get away with murder. Well, uh, Rise and Kill First, which again is just a small part of the story, does show that Israel has gotten away with murder and changed history through its murders, although not entirely to its own benefit, uh, these things have a way of backfiring, uh, but I, I thought that was kind of interesting. That you know we have, you know Israel, you know being this—they're they, the thousand-pound gorilla in the room for political assassinations, and they always have been. And they're doing it this week and basically every day. They're assassinating people, uh, including professors and intellectuals. And uh, and then here's the New York Times where Ronan Bergman writes, telling us that political assassinations don't work. Is there some subtext here I'm missing, Mike?
1: Yeah, it's called uh, uh, Logos. So Logos is speech. So why are these people, why are they intellectuals? Well, because they're good at talking. Uh, They're good at persuading people. And so what you're seeing here is the Jewish war on Logos that began when they crucified Christ, who is the Logos incarnate. They have been fighting Logos reason ever since the order of the universe. And when you're at war with the order of the universe, you're a, a revolutionary. Uh, so what you don't... So I went through this with the uh, the ADL way back when. They accused me of being complicit in the murder of those Jews at the synagogue in uh, in Pittsburgh or in Poway, one of those places. And I said, no, no, you're responsible because you are the people who are denying us the ability to speak. I have been forever saying that uh, the that Catholic position is secret, you, Deus non. No one has the right to harm the Jew. You are impeding my ability to spread that message. So maybe if I were hadn't been banned from YouTube or something like that, that Marine who eventually picked up the gun uh, and wrote a manifesto saying the time for talk is over. That's what you're doing. So I said, the ADL, you're responsible for
0: the killing because you're stopping discourse. Yeah, the ADL is the one that's saying the time for talk is always over because the only talk that they ever want to allow is themselves justifying their crimes. Uh, And and so here we have 59 of these intellectuals they've killed had doctoral degrees. Uh, Again, just like in Iraq, they're targeting the intellectual elite of the group that they are trying to get rid of or disempower, in this case, exterminate. Well, the axis of resistance is fighting back. I think I mentioned earlier, Mike, that we have some maps showing that the parts of Gaza that the Zionists think that they've occupied are fighting back still. Um, but meanwhile, another part of the axis of resistance was stealing headlines this week, and that was, of course, uh, the Yemeni government, otherwise known as the Houthis. Biden uh, basically declared war on the Houthis this week, and it didn't work because the more American forces that you send into that region and, and futilely, uselessly bomb Yemen, uh, the more it scares the shipping out of out of the Red Sea. And the Babo Mende. Uh, so the, here we have a good article from the, um, what, what, what's called the Intercept, about the Houthis checkmating Biden in the Red Sea standoff. So this was not a real smart war for Biden to start. And uh, we here's, here's the article from Simplicius the Thinker. Uh, I thought that was a good summary of the way the war is really turning against the Zionists and the Americans. It uh, compares it to Ukraine's uh, doomed assault in in, in uh big miscalculation sunk cost fallacy. And here are the maps we're talking about. You mentioned these earlier, Mike, that the resistance fighters have re-infiltrated the entire north, which was supposedly cleared of them. And that's where that uh, attack managed to kill a couple of dozen of the Zionist troops this week. Um, so here, here's the map showing that they haven't cleared anything. this war on Hamas fighters on, on resistance fighters has been a complete shambles. It's going nowhere. All the Zionists seem to be able to do is murder women and children by the hundreds every day. Uh, and um, the World Court, of course, doesn't like that, but it can't stop it. Uh, so uh, here, here's a, a, another map, um, you know, show, showing once again uh, the larger picture of. The, uh, the, the regional war, where the axis of resistance is fighting on several fronts, the Babel mendev that we mentioned, Iran hitting Iraqi uh, Kurdistan, where they took out a Mossad headquarters uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, also um, putting pressure on the Zionists from the Lebanese northern border. Uh, so this, this whole war is uh, a complete fiasco for, for the Israelis. that's one reason, like, I think this whole narrative that the whole thing is one big Zionist false flag. I don't think that makes any sense because, uh, you know, they would have to be even stupider than they are to want to start a war that's this hopeless.
1: Yeah, I think the problem is it's it's asymmetric. So the United States builds weapons that are suitable for the military industrial complex which are basically big weapons like the, the Patriot missile, cost a lot of money, tossed a lot to produce it. You need supply chains to do it effectively. Uh, and uh, you, it, you've, it's meant for big targets. So it's a big missile aiming at another big missile. And that's suddenly not the way the war is being conducted it can be overwhelmed by a swarm of drones, which is precisely what's happening with, with the Houthi. So they can fire. how are they going to stop if they got one big missile being attacked by uh, 30 or 40 or 100 small drones? That's not going to work. And so they fire off the missile and now they have supply chain problems. And they now are failing in the Red Sea in the fundamental mission of the United States Navy, which is to protect the sea lanes. Uh, they can't do it, and so the the uh, the shippers are voting with their feet or their f- their propellers or whatever you call it, and they're going around the the horn of Africa, which is going to double the or quadruple whatever uh, the price of everything that goes there, but most crucially, uh, liquefied natural gas. We persuaded uh, we persuaded uh, Germany to uh, accept that we blew up their pipeline, and that they can buy now buy natural liquid gas. Uh, That costs six times the cost of the gas coming from the pipeline, but hey, that's okay. Well, now it's, who knows what it's going to cost? Ten times? This is the end of German industry. So it's it's a self-defeating
0: strategy. Indeed. And uh, the, um, let's see, here's the 118 attacks on U.S. forces since October 17th. Uh, The Iraqi militias are responsible for quite a few of those. So, there's this pressure on the US forces occupying the region. Of course, Iraq is still occupied. Part of Syria is occupied. And then the Babel Mendeb Red Sea area is occupied by US ships. Uh, So, naturally, the uh, uh, Americans are looking for an exit now. And they're finally talking to the Iraqi government about getting out. Now, the Iraqi parliament has ordered the US to leave. That happened years ago. And the US has continued to occupy Iraq against the orders of the Iraqi parliament. But now, finally, the U.S. is unilaterally begging the Iraqis for talks, which the U.S. had refused before, about getting out. So I think they're, uh, they're facing imminent defeat and recognizing that this is not uh, a sustainable situation.
1: No, they're overextended. I know a military guy who said that years ago, and it's proof now. If you looked at that map again of Syria and Iraq, they're way overextended, and they're completely vulnerable to all of these missile attacks that uh, Iran or whoever can launch at will. So, uh, and besides that, how, how is that going to help de- solve the problem in Yemen? So uh, I think uh, Simplicius was onto something when he says, this may be the card that America is going to play uh, with Israel, which basically, okay, if you don't stop, we're pulling out completely and you will be overwhelmed from the north when, uh, whatever it is, Hezbollah, the uh, Iraqi uh, or Shia militias and suddenly start marching toward the Golan Heights.
0: Okay. Well, uh, the Israelis also seem to be backing down a little bit. Uh, There's the claim that they are proposing a two-month, quote-unquote, pause. Now, of course, the uh, Palestinian position is that we'll only release the hostages in return for a permanent ceasefire. Do you think that this two-month ceasefire proposal is real? And if so, will it go anywhere? Will it be accepted?
1: Yeah, they uh, maybe they will and then they'll start fighting right after we'll go back to the status quo ante after 2 months are up. I think this is uh in in Israel's favor. I know the pressure on the Palestinian people is horrendous, but I think that this is uh for Israel's advantage. They see a clear advantage of it. They can redeploy they, they can their troops are are battle-wearied at this point. They're withdrawing them. Uh they don't have a lot of reserves. Uh to fight this war, their supply chain is the American supply chain, which is severely challenged at this moment. So I think it's in their interest. and the longer it goes on, the more they're going to concede. It's like it's like a, a race to who's going to get to the finish line? are they going to exterminate all of the Palestinians before uh this happens before they run out of ammunition? This is the type of game. This is clearly where, The Biden administration, some Jew there is going to have to step in and say, uh, let's give the ultimatum to Netanyahu. It's over. Uh, Otherwise, Biden's not going to be reelected. They're going to have to step in. This is what they should have done at the beginning. I forget who made this point. Was it Simplicius? But this is the weakest government ever. Every single other government president was able to bring the the, the Israelis to the table, kicking and screaming. This is the first time they haven't been able to do that, largely because it's, it's all Jews running the Biden
0: administration. Well, that's true. They dragged them to the table, although they didn't really get the Israelis to do anything productive at the table. Uh, well, here are the Israelis. Um, they're not not only supposedly open to a two-month pause, but their final solution for the people of Gaza would be an island. That's right. They want to build an artificial island and herd all the people of Gaza onto it. Call it uh, Zionist Alcatraz. Mike, do you think the Palestinians want to be sent to Zionist Alcatraz? Or How about Devil's Island? Devil's Island. Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This is sheer craziness. So a floating concentration camp as opposed to an open air concentration. This is crazy. This is a sign of desperation.
0: Yeah, maybe they want to build this island like next to their natural gas installations, which they're planning to steal. And <laughs> so I don't think the Palestinians uh, are quite ready for that. But anyway, let's move on to Harvard, another place where the uh, terrible anti-Semitism that afflicts today's world has been running riot and completely out of control. So um, it's our job here at False Flag Weekly News to keep you apprised in the latest of Anti-Semitism news. So over at Harvard University, there's been a terrible outbreak of anti-Semitism as a group of students and professors is uniting to oppose genocide. Uh, Mike, uh, don't you find this deplorable?
1: Yes. I look, uh, Father Father Hesburgh. I'm no fan of Father Hesburgh, but he ended up on the Harvard Board of Trustees, and he said that if you let the Jews in, they take over. Well, this is precisely so. In the 1920s, there were quotas for Jews. Uh, they got lifted after the uh, World War II. We need all of the brains. We need the Manhattan Project and so on and so forth. So they left them in, And guess what? They took over. But the problem when they take over is they can't run anything. They can't run the state of Israel. Okay. And now they can't run Harvard. They have ruined Harvard.
0: But wait, wait a because minute, Michael, the, the young Jews are actually pro- – well, some of the young Jews are protesting against the genocide, and the old Jews are supporting the genocide. That's right. That's, that's right.
1: Yeah. So yeah.
0: so I'm talking about
1: the Jews in power. You put the Jew – what's the name of the big uh, trustee, the guy who was a big contributor whose wife got caught uh, oh, plagiarizing? Yeah. I forget the guy's name. I'm saying when – as soon as they get in power – then that's when the problems start because they they are deficient when it comes to logos. Okay, the motto of Harvard is veritas, which means truth, which means a kind of impartiality and a willingness to be convinced by the facts or convinced by the truth of the situation. That is the antithesis of the way Jews think. Is it good for Jews? Is it good for me? I have money, so I'm going to call the shots and uh we, don't, we will control the thing in a way that will make it completely unstable and untenable. But we're in control. This is the message of these rich Jewish trustees that basically threw their weight around, trumped up these charges. Maybe it's not trumped up charges. They were the ones, it was Neil uh, uh Noel Ignatiev who created the whole monster in the first place of critical race theory. So they have the lady, the DEI lady. Uh, who comes in and she tries to stand up for freedom of speech on campus and they go after her. This is crazy. You're cutting off your own nose despite your face. You're proving the Jews can't rule anything. They start, they're wrecking Harvard.
0: Well, the, uh, the Jews who are supporting the genocide, as opposed to the younger Jews who are opposing it, uh, don't seem to have succeeded in shutting down the pro-Palestine movement on campus. Uh, and here's the New York Post deploring the uh, terrible, horrific, anti-Semitic Hamas uh, terrorism being committed on on Harvard as somebody is, quote-unquote, defacing these propaganda kidnap posters. Uh, so uh, they're, uh, what, sick Jeffrey Epstein and 9-11 conspiracy theories are being written on these posters. Here's uh, uh, Google the dancing Israelis uh, scrawled on one of these posters, and somebody else scrawled, I'm blind, and even I can see Israel did 9-11, uh, reads a message uh, covering her head. So uh, an- another kidnapped poster had this, uh, this baby uh, who ended up in the captivity of Hamas. Uh, somebody wrote, head still on, which I guess was admittedly somewhat tasteless. But still, uh, the Zionist "40 uh, beheaded babies" propaganda was even more tasteless because it justified genocide. And then there was uh, an "I knew Epstein" scrawled on that one. So, so uh, these uh, somebody at Harvard is sick of the Zionist propaganda. In fact, I bet a lot of people at Harvard are.
1: Yeah, it's it's analogous to this asymmetrical warfare I just described. So the Jews control the mass media, uh, but you got all these people scrawling uh, graffiti on their posters. Uh, how are you going to stop that? You've got one big missile that's going to blow up everybody who has a, 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 a magic marker. This is, this is, it's not working. It's not working. Uh, when are they going to wake up? When is, when are, are the Jews going to apologize
0: for doing something wrong? When is that what, going to happen? You know, when, when you scrawl stuff like this on these posters, at least you don't get it deleted instantly, like happens when you say the same type of thing in the comment section on some obnoxious article. <laughs> but, so maybe that's one, one reason people do this, is that they're sick of being censored everywhere else. There's one place you can actually write something and not have it immediately disappeared by the censors. Uh, but anyway, shout out to the, the Harvard people who are pushing back against the genocide propaganda. And fi- our final Harvard story is that they're having to retract papers uh, based, that were full of falsified data at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, which is affiliated with Harvard they are already initiating six retractions and there are 31 others in the process of being corrected. So that uh, Harvard president that they basically forced out for supporting the Palestinians uh, who had a couple of items of plagiarism or incorrectly, inadequately cited uh, citations in in her work uh, wasn't the only one at Harvard who's producing this kind of uh, fake research.
1: No, it's time to tell the story about what happened at Harvard uh, by going back to the SAT story and the Kaplan tutoring course in Brooklyn where the guy Kaplan the jew kaplan got the got the questions and answers of every single question on the SAT he told them to the jews who took his course and then they got 18 they got uh, whatever 1600 on their SATs and they all got into Harvard and then they took over Harvard so this this debunks the myth of jewish intelligence okay it's in it's in uh, Nicholas Lemons book the big test if you want some type of uh, reference here uh it's Heinrich goes back to Heinrich Graetz. Heinrich Graetz wrote the the first history of the Jews. He said that the only thing Polish Jews ever learned from studying the Talmud was how to cheat people. So they're really good at cheating. Well, that's the message that you need to uh, apply to Harvard. They're really good at cheating.
0: Well, according to some great analyses that Ron Unz has done on ethnicity of uh, people being admitted to Harvard, it seems that... The, if, if if there was a problem you know, when the first wave of uh, this you know huge wave of Jews uh, moved into the Ivy League back in sort of the 60s, 70s, 80s, at that time, the discrepancy between their ability as rated by test scores and grades and things like that, and they're being admitted, was not nearly as great as it is now. That is, there's been uh, a huge kind of fall off in Jewish academic performance, and yet they're still getting into Harvard in the same numbers. It turns out, that they're being uh, massively uh, discriminated in favor of, whereas the non-Jewish whites are the most discriminated against group, according to Anza's analysis, which was actually the analysis that led to that Supreme Court case on college admissions and uh, affirmative action. So it's anyway, people should look into that, check out the arguments and see what you think. Uh, and if you agree with us that, uh, that, that things are burning down, maybe it's time to pull out a fire extinguisher that's uh, what uh, Gr- uh, Grzeggers Brown, I love that name, Grzeggers Brown. He's, he went Grzeggers on the Hanukkah candles. Gregor's. <laughs> <Regular. laughs> and and, <laughs> and he's now been stripped of his legal immunity. So they're going to try and throw him in prison next to uh, Alfred Schaefer, I guess. Alfred's in there for not buying into the entire uh, Holocaust narrative. And Grzeggers now, they're going to get him for extinguishing a menorah candle but he sounds like a pretty reasonable guy. Reading this article about him in Arctos, uh, he sounds—you know—he he's, he's doesn't sound like some—you know—wild and crazy, emotional—you uh, know—person without any command of the facts. He actually sounds like he kind of knows what he's doing.
1: Yeah. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, if if you can remove immunity,
0: it's not immunity. There's yeah, a paradox here. So, I guess he didn't have immunity to the removal of immunity.
1: I need immunity from immunity. <laughs> Wait a minute, this makes no sense. Why didn't someone raise this during the debate here? If you can remove it, it's not immunity.
0: Well, that's the, that's the immunity to immunity which he didn't have. See, and, and then if you if you <laughs> they get you for that, you need immunity to immunity. immunity. <laughs> anyway, Rosengers is, uh, is facing some uh, pushback. But I, I'm sure that he and his supporters will be pushing, too. So we'll see where that goes. I know you have experience in Poland, Mike. I mean, I think there's a silent majority or at least a big minority in Poland that supports people like grzegorz brown
1: Yeah, well, obviously, he got elected. I think he's just going to get more votes this way. What did did uh, remove removing Trump's immunity? Did that hurt him politically? I don't think so. It just strengthens your base when you when you're confronted with this. And it brings the question out of Jewish influence. Uh, wait a minute, it, who's who's running the show here in Poland? They have lots of experience dealing with the Jews, more than any other country in the world. Uh, Poland was the paradisus judeorum during the Middle Ages. And so uh, that expertise is going to come back, and basically it's going to give Tusk and the pro-EU uh, crowd, the pro-NATO crowd, uh, a lot of trouble at a time when they're losing support anyway.
0: Well, I, I don't know about voting for Trump, no matter how many indictments or prison sentences he gets. But if Grzegers-Brown comes to America and runs for president, I might write him in. Uh, Speaking of Trump, uh, all aboard the Trump train. Ooh, uh, wait a minute. Uh, Is this another Trump death threat? I mean, just recently, Robert Kagan wrote an article for The Washington Post that might as well have had the headline, we need to kill Trump now while we still can. Uh, There's no other way to stop him. And now here we have a more subtle, slightly more subtle message with a bullet hole And then somebody holding this cash. And if you add up the cash, it adds up to $47. And so he would be uh, president number 47, I guess. So Alex Soros was tweeting this image of the bullet hole in the $47. And uh, here's a natural news arguing that that was incitement to assassination. What do you think, Mike? Is this uh, the bullet hole in the $47? Is that? Uh, another secret message from the Atlantic and the neocons that they want to you know, get Trump assassinated.
1: Yeah, it sounds that way to me. Why isn't this banned on uh, YouTube? Why isn't this banned? This sounds like a death threat to me. Uh, and it brings up all of the people who were uh, murdered in the past. Uh, the whole what happened in 1968, a kind of purge, of the leadership uh, that uh, was supposed to threaten the Vietnam War, the continuation of the Vietnam War. It brings back all these memories. political
0: assassination doesn't work.
1: Yes, tell that to the Israelis. John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, uh, Martin Luther King, now it's Thomas Merton. All these people uh, murdered uh, uh, for political purposes, It, it discredits the American narrative, doesn't it? I mean, if you have to assassinate people, in order to deal with them. But it's completely in line with the character assassination that is the the stock and trade of people, uh, groups like the ADL. It's just the, the logical step. You want to kill the person's character. If it doesn't
0: work, we'll kill the person. Well, the lawfare approach to Trump doesn't seem to be working too well. Now, you know, personally, I'm not that thrilled about the prospect of another Trump presidency, because that's, I think that's what Netanyahu is waiting for. He would love to keep the genocide going long enough to get Trump in office. And he expects that Trump would rubber stamp it. Well, of course, Biden's rubber stamping it too. So what's the difference? Um, well, here's where there might be a slight difference down at the southern border. There's a big fight now between Texas and Washington about who decides whether or not we stop any Ill- people illegally crossing the border. And Texas wants to, and the Supreme Court apparently uh, sided with Washington, but uh, Abbott in Texas is continuing to put up razor wire. Is this heading into Civil War II, Mike?
1: Looks that way. Looks that way. I mean, except that now it's not going to be the north versus the south. It's going to be the middle versus the two the two coasts. That's the way uh, the, the, the states have, who are supporting uh, Texas in the Texas uh, d- defense of the border. That's the way it's shaking out now. So yeah. uh, why, wait a minute. One more war. Okay. Now, not only are you fighting the Houthis now, now you're going to fight the Texans. Uh, this is not, the, maybe there's something wrong with your policy. Stop and take a deep breath. Maybe the, the Biden's minion, who are the real story. This is Mayorkas, OK? Mayorkas is responsible for this. He's the guy, when you bring him into the Senate, he says, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. You can watch him say it. He's d- completely failing in his job uh, to protect the border. But maybe his job is to simply pack the rolls of Democrats, potential Democrats, with all these people. Whatever. It's failing. Maybe you should reconsider. Maybe this you don't need a civil war to complement the war in the Middle East.
0: Well, if the Fed sent in a company of tranny troops to go up against the Texas Rangers, I think I'd be betting on the Rangers. Uh, now, moving on to COVID dystopia news. Uh, the Dutch Queen of Davos says that biometric digital IDs are good for tracking vaccination status. Well, I can't wait to get my biometric digital ID going so they can track my vaccination status. How about you?
1: yeah it shows you that the dutch are completely nothing but vassals of the of the rich and the powerful they they sold their soul to the oligarchs uh, and now they're reaping the contempt uh, that they gained from their own people this is just like one other step like the whole dutch uh, farmer crisis uh, that is now the German farmer crisis. Uh, everybody's supporting, they, they wanted to basically take over, uh, 30% of the nationalized 30% of the farmland No, of, of the total ho- of Holland. Okay. 50% of the farmland, uh, because there's too much nitrogen coming out of the cows or something like that. This is the most uh, productive, uh, farmland in, I'd say in the world pro acre, uh, and and uh, the, the 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 Dutch leadership is doing nothing but opposing the Dutch people, the farmers, their own farmers, at the bidding of the you know World Economic Foundation Davos, all those people. Terrible! It's degrading.
0: Well, degrading. Europe doesn't it's- need food or fuel, I guess. Right? They blow up the Nord Stream, stop you know giving them fuel, and and then you know take out their farmland and. I don't know what they're going to live on or how they're going to kind of heat their houses. I think you need to heat houses up there. Where we are down here in Morocco by the Mediterranean, we don't need to heat our house. But up there in Europe, I always thought they did, but silly me. Uh, Speaking of places where you need to heat your houses, how about Canada? The Canadian truckers uh, beat Trudeau in federal court. It's a little late, but... Yeah, that was one of the most outrageous abuses during the uh, COVID dystopia era. Was when Trudeau declared an emergency and seized the bank accounts of the peaceful activists who were giving him a hard time politically, which is kind of what dictators supposedly do.
1: Yeah, it was intimately connected with the Ukraine too. Christia Freeland was the lady the the uh, uh, the, the lady who pulled the trigger on this type of thing, freezing people's bank accounts and so on and so forth. So i well, know I'm No, I'm no lawyer, but that this opened the government uh, to lawsuits because they overreached and, and uh, infringed upon the rights of their people. Is there going to be some type of lasting uh, consequence that the government has to face so that they don't do it again? Uh, good
0: question. Well, yeah, Trudeau should be thrown out of office for doing this. I mean, that's if, if Trump, you know, went and seized all the money from all the Democrats that opposed him and froze all their bank accounts. I mean, everybody would be clamoring for his head, but Trudeau does it, and the same people who clamor for Trump's head uh, all the time uh, don't seem to care. Oh, well, well, I think we're getting down to the wire here on the show. So we have a couple of firsts to report. One of them, this is a first, you're now being encouraged by the mainstream to teach conspiracy theories in the college classroom. Wait a minute, Mike, I got ran out of the University of Wisconsin for supposedly teaching conspiracy theories, even though I wasn't. I was actually just... Looking at the so-called war on terror from a number of different perspectives. And one of those perspectives among several was the Muslim majority perspective, according to which 9-11 was a false flag. The polls show that the vast majority of Muslims believe that. I was teaching a class on, you know, intro to Islam. I thought maybe that, you know, it's relevant what the Muslims actually think in an Islam class, but silly me, uh, I was accused of teaching conspiracy theories and made unemployable in the American Academy. And now here it is, 2024, and the Times Higher Education and Inside Higher Ed are telling us that you should be teaching conspiracy theories in your college classroom. Of course, you should be teaching students not to believe them.
1: (laughs) Oh, you taught the wrong conspiracy theory. That's your problem. It's your (laughs) own damn fault, Kevin. You should have taught the insurrection conspiracy theory. How about that
0: one? That's an acceptable conspiracy, right? Well, 2006, 9-11 seemed like an important one to me, but what do I know? Wrong conspiracy Get with the program. Okay, now if you hire me back, uh, University of Wisconsin, uh, which I'm not even applying for, uh, I will be much more careful in how I teach or which conspiracy theories I teach. Ah, and our last first. This is a this is a first. Saudi Arabia opens its first liquor store. Uh, I guess they just cut the ribbon or something. And it, where where is it in, it's in central Riyadh? So uh, now the winos have a place to hang out in Riyadh and i he, false flag weekly news as the inside scoop on how this came about it was this moment uh it was an agreement between bin salman and putin that uh if saudi arabia leaves the us orbit and joins the brics uh putin will be able to get vodka when he visits so that was the deal there's putin with his vodka and uh here is bin salman uh, Now, this was a few years ago celebrating with champagne so bin salman's a heavy drinker he'll probably be uh, staggering around outside that new liquor store in Riyadh, clutching a paper sack. And you'll know it's him uh, if you sort of peel back that red thing he had, he'll pull down over his face, but you'll have to pull it off and you'll know that it's him. So that's uh, that's our last story here. Uh, ben Salman whooping it up in downtown Riyadh at the first ever Saudi liquor store. Uh, <laughs> any final thoughts on that, Mike? Yes. In vino veritas. in vino veritas, and maybe even in vodka veritas, because the Russians are telling more truth than the Americans. And that's our final uh, comment for the week. That's False Flag Weekly News. We'll be back next week, especially if you send us money. So hey, until then, uh, have a great week. And you too. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate your your, uh, learned commentary. You're welcome. Okay, bye-bye.